Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Why, hello. Welcome back. This episode and a few that will likely follow are thanks to my friend Carrie. Early this summer, she texted me from her garden and requested an episode about summer poems. I told her I would try to oblige and I was thinking at the time that that should be a pretty simple and straightforward task. However, it turned out to be more interesting challenging and fruitful than I expected, and in fact, I think this might turn into a mini-series of summer poem episodes. I searched through anthologies for a while looking for summer poems and wasn't satisfied. I think summer is underrepresented in the poetry world, and some of the poems I found were about summers that I didn't recognize. Um, Anywhere where it rains a lot in the summer, That just didn't feel like summer. As much as I love a summer storm, I was looking for poems that reminded me of the summer here that I'm used to. So pretty soon I put away the books and just started in spare moments, ruffling through the files in my own brain, trying to think, okay, what poems do I remember deep down about what summer really is to me? And I ended up coming up with quite a few. I have three today. That friend Carrie joined me on this podcast in episode 39 to talk about romantic poetry, capital R, romantic. Um, So the first poem I have today is a romantic sonnet by the English poet John Clare. It's called Summer Moods. I don't know if I've done any straight-up nature sonnets on this podcast before, and this is just a good, old-fashioned nature poem. It's called Summer Moods by John Clare. I love at eventide to walk alone. Down narrow lanes o'erhung with dewy thorn, Where from the long grass underneath The snail, jet black, creeps out And sprouts his timid horn. I love to muse o'er meadows newly mown, Where withering grass perfumes the sultry air, Where bees search round with sad and weary drone, In vain for flowers that bloomed but newly there. While in the juicy corn the hidden quail Cries, wet my foot, and hid as thoughts unborn. The fairy-like and seldom-seen land-rail Utters, crick, crick, like voices underground. Right glad to meet the evening's dewy veil And see the light fade into glooms around. Oh, I meant to mention before I read that, that the land rail is the name of a birdie, also called a corncrake. And Claire mentions corncrakes often, 
I think that's a great name for a bird. It's named after the corn it lives in and the craking sound that it makes. John Clare was the son of farm laborers. He wasn't as highly educated as many romantic poets. And he also was more in touch with what animals and plants were called um, and with the connection of animals to human activity like harvesting, planting. Um, I think it's one reason I actually like him more than a lot of romantic poets. He has a little bit of a rough edge. This poem is unpunctuated. A lot of his have some idiosyncratic um, punctuation or even grammar at times. He was a little bit just rough around the edges than a lot of romantic poets. A little bit less educated, but a little more, as I mentioned, in touch with actually what was happening in nature. I picture a lot of the other romantic poets as you know, preppy college students wandering around trying to write about what they saw, but not always knowing what they were looking at. John Clare knew what he was looking at. He was part of it. He grew up there. And he wrestled a lot with um, the changing landscape of industrialization. He lived around the turn of the 19th century. Later in life, he spent his last 20 years in an asylum, and some of those poems get really metaphysical and interesting as his mental health deterior deteriorated. He's just one of those poets that I have a soft spot in my heart for him as a person, as a struggling person, as well as just um, I enjoy his poems. So this has some good juicy romantic stuff in this one, doesn't it? Words like eventide and or hung. I like that he actually uses the word juicy for corn. That's fun. It's one of my favorite words. As I was looking for summer poems, I noticed so many of them were about the end of summer. Did I mention that already? I've done a few takes here. I can't remember what I said. And it's funny that this one is just summer. The hay has been mown, which happens not toward the end of summer, but toward the middle. But then this sonnet ends with the gloaming and the gloom and the light fading, which it's kind of as though he couldn't help alluding to the end of summer a little bit and the end of this one, at least the end of a day. But isn't that one of the best parts of summer, the long mornings and evenings. There's some times of year where the mornings and evenings go so quickly you barely notice them. Morning comes while I'm at work in the winter and evening comes before I notice it in the late afternoon in the winter. But in the summer, both of those times of day are so long and luxurious. When I read this poem, I picture an exact place where I love to walk near my house. A country lane, there is a hayfield there along one side. It's perfect to walk there in that time after the sunset, but it's still light. And the smells of the hay and, I don't know, I love in summer how you can walk through cool patches of air and warm patches of air. The cool ones smell like cucumbers or watermelon and the warm ones like hot cut grass. It's almost like moving through water. I like to pretend I'm a little trout moving through currents of cool and warm water. 
So I have a very strong image in my mind when I read this poem, a place that's special to me. I'll read this one again, since it's a little more complex with this, with these long romantic sentences. Here it is again, Summer Moods by John Clare. I love at eventide to walk alone, down narrow lanes or hung with dewy thorn, where from the long grass underneath, the snail, jet black, creeps out and sprouts his timid horn. I love to muse o'er meadows newly mown, where withering grass perfumes the sultry air, where bees search round with sad and weary drone in vain for flowers that bloomed but newly there. While in the juicy corn the hidden quail cries wet my foot and hid as thoughts unborn. The fairy-like and seldom seen land rail utters crake crake like voices underground. Right glad to meet the evening's dewy veil and see the light fade into glooms around. My second poem is called The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. This might be the first Mary Oliver poem that I've read on this podcast. And Mary Oliver is such a beloved and popular American poet that that is pretty remarkable that I've made it this far. If anybody comes up to me and says, Mary, I heard a poem recently and I did like it. It was by, um, I guess, Mary Oliver. And that is the answer. 99.5% of the time. Her poetry is simple and naturey and often compelling to somebody who's been confused by poetry before. I think I'll only read this one once. I'll try to go slowly because it is straightforward and beautiful. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who's flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? The poem, that poem, is 
remarkable for its ability to tie the immediate concrete with much larger ideas. I think she does that masterfully there. She lets there be mystery with all those questions. But there's also a, st a still life to some extent of this one specific grasshopper. This isn't just about the idea of living things. It's about this one specific creature that she was able to hold in her hand. But the fact that she has both, the concrete specific, those images of this little complicated insect, and the bigger picture of a whole life and prayer and a creator all tied together into just, hmm, looks like about 16 lines maybe, 16 short lines. That's impressive. And that last line's a kicker, isn't it? Okay. One more. This poem is by Seamus Haney. It's one of my favorite poems. I don't know why it made such an impression on me. And I wonder if hearing it through the ears is going to work. I don't know, but I've got nothing to lose, so I'm going to read it to you. This is called Moss Bond. Two poems in dedication, and this is the first section called Sunlight. I actually haven't been able to find the second section. I can only find this one. It's a poem written in memory of Mary Haney, who was Seamus Haney's aunt, but she lived with them. She, it seems like she was a very important domestic figure in his life, like a mother or grandmother would have been. And this poem's in memory of her. I think I'll read it twice. So just get, get what you can in this first listen, okay? Moss Bond, Sunlight by Seamus Haney. There was a sunlit absence. The helmeted pump in the yard heated its iron. Water honeyed in the slung bucket. And the sun stood like a griddle cooling against the wall of each long afternoon. So her hands scuffled over the bakeboard. The reddening stove sent its plaque of heat against her, where she stood in a flowery apron by the window. Now she dusts the board with a goose's wing. Now sits broad-lapped with whitened nails and measling shins. Here is a space again, the scone rising to the tick of two clocks. And here is love, like a tinsmith's scoop, sunk past its gleam in the meal bin. Ah, uh, I'm getting a horrible feeling I should have thought about this poem for a couple more years before I tried to talk about it. Maybe done an episode just on this one, but it's too late now. Here we go. Nothing to lose here. At the very least, I've brought you 
this poem. Why? Why does this one hurt me so bad? I think part of it's just good old-fashioned jealousy that he took these simple words, just homely, domestic, interior simplicity, and underneath it, I just feel something so much bigger than just the concreteness that he uses to honor the memory of this woman, her work and her body and her love. In a way, it's a series of images. It almost reminds me of a painting or a photograph. It isn't quite just inside. Um, he does describe the yard, the metal pump getting hotter in the sun and the water honeying in the slung bucket. Oh, it's gorgeous. Can you picture that nasty water turning that golden red color as it um, sits in the hot sun untouched? There's a sort of stillness there, a static feeling. And then this, I will never, as long as I live, forget the sun stood like a griddle cooling against the wall of each long afternoon. That's wild. I picture an actual griddle leaning against the wall to cool outside, which is just such a beautiful touch. The old cast iron that would stay hot for so long. But the wall of each afternoon, the sun a griddle against the wall of each afternoon. Oh, dang. So good. So hot. Okay, so it's, it sets this scene of heat and warmth and stillness outside. But then inside, this woman. What's she doing? She's working. Okay, she's dead and he's writing this poem about his beloved aunt and he's writing about the things she did. And what did she do? Kitchen chores. I think that might be part of the pang of this poem is the bittersweet recognition. I know it to be true that work and prayer are connected and that the simplest tasks can be an act of service to God and others. And there's at the same time, just Something hard to accept about that, about a life being spent, the beauty of a life being in such homely tasks and the work done for a family. There being no recognition out in the world, but just under one roof in one family, making scones, working in a flowery apron in the kitchen, dusting the cutting board with feathered wing that was her life this is very as I mentioned concrete we go through with a lot of those solid nouns you know by now that I love nothing's abstract until the word love toward the end and even that is captured with a super solid simile Love, like a scoop, sunk past its gleam in the meal bin. I picture in the corner of the kitchen a big sack 
of meal that she's using to bake and that scoop shoved into it past its gleam what's he saying about love love is in the kitchen love's in his memory of her and all the things he's mentioned the tasks he's mentioned the work are wrapped up in that it's the love love is here in this scene the tick of the two clocks is another part of this poem that I feel just puts it over the top because until then as I mentioned it does seem like it could be a description of something very still a painting or a um, photograph but once we get the auditory detail there a kitchen with two old clocks ticking a little bit off from each other it makes that scene come alive and then Right after that, he gives his simile of the scoop in the meal bin, and here is love. So that clock part wakes you up just in time for him to go a little bit more metaphysical and to get us to the love, which is probably the point of this poem being written to begin with. And it's interesting, so interesting and beautiful to me that you can start with something like love and end up with a list of images of kitchen equipment and kitchen tasks. And that that can somehow express the love that he started with. Also, you try talking about this stuff. It's really difficult. You would think practice would help, but it almost seems like the further I get in this podcast and the more I start bringing some of these poems that I've put off because they're difficult, I just, I can't rest on my laurels. I have to keep struggling and stretching here. And thanks for bearing with me in that process. I'll read this one again. Listen, it's worth a careful listen. It's worth trying to construct this in your mind. Moss Bond. Sunlight by Seamus Haney. There was a sunlit absence. The helmeted pump in the yard heated its iron. Water honeyed in the slung bucket. And the sun stood like a griddle cooling against the wall of each long afternoon. So her hands scuffled over the bake board. The reddening stove sent its plaque of heat against her where she stood in a flowery apron by the window. Now she dusts the board with a goose's wing. Now sits broad-lapped with whitened nails and measling shins. Here is a space again, the scone rising to the tick of two clocks. And here is love, like a tinsmith scoop, sunk past its gleam in the meal bin. Okay. I have one more for dessert. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver reminded me of this one because she mentioned idleness, knowing how to be idle and blessed which of course reminds me of Whitman. He loves to brag about how he leans and loafs and idles and enjoys his life more than any of the rest of us. 
But that idleness is truly a beautiful part of summer, especially in a family like mine where every person is a teacher or student and summer is so different from the rest of the year. I also live in a place where um, the light in summer is extremely long and the in the summer and very, very short in the winter. So winter and summer are just very different and summer has a good dose of idling even in the midst of lesson planning and trips and all of that summer goodness. There's time to just sit and stare into space. There's time to linger over coffee in the morning and a sunset at night and that just sitting and doing nothing feels like the best use of time there could possibly be. And this last poem I think tips its hat to that. This poem is called Lying in a Hammock at William Duffy's Farm in Pine Island, Minnesota, and it's by James Wright. It goes like this. Over my head I see the bronze butterfly asleep on the black trunk, blowing like a leaf in green shadow. Down the ravine, behind the empty house, the cowbells follow one another into the distances of the afternoon. To my right, in a field of sunlight between two pines, the droppings of last year's horses blaze up into golden stones. I lean back as the evening darkens and comes on. A chicken hawk floats over, looking for home. I have wasted my life. <laughs>